There are a lot of ways to say quit. Stop. Cease and desist. Retreat. Run away. Give up. Surrender. While quitting usually has negative connotations, it's often what we quit and who we quit that serves as the margin of victory or defeat. It's knowing when to say no to things that can save us the most. Competing with culture, yelling at loved ones, lying to your friends, feeding your addictions, sinking further into debt and clinging to bitterness. None of these things are serving you or the people you care about the most. So what's stopping you from saying, I quit to things that can destroy you and your loved ones? In this series at AC, we will explore how to say, I quit and cast off the burdens that are holding you back from living your best life in Christ. All right, well, we're glad you're here this morning. We are going to get into part three of I Quit Today. I want to welcome those of you joining online, wherever you're tuned in. Thanks for being part of our experience as well. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about things we need to quit in order to really uh, grab hold of and to, to really embrace the plan and the purpose of God for our life. And we've been talking about how we have to first believe that we can change in order for change to happen in our life and believe that there is sometimes things in our life that may be impossible in and of our own strength. But with Christ, Jesus said, with God, anything is possible. And we have to believe that for our life. And last week we talked about appetites in our life and how the wrong appetites can lead to addiction and things and how we can really break free from addictions and the appetites that are really meant to destroy us. And today I want to talk to you about a topic that I believe may be the most important one in the series. And as we were uh, planning this series and I was praying, this was really a topic that I thought we have to talk about this. And I'm going to talk to you today about what I would call the comparison curse and how some of you need to quit in order to really be free and to really embrace who God created you to be and the plan and the purpose that God has for your life. You gotta quit comparing to, to other people, to other things, and to other situations in life. You know, I believe it's the, the number one weapon that the enemy uses, especially in our culture, in the context of the suburbs of, of central Ohio, uh, in a place where we're really not lacking for a lot of things in our lives, where we have more than we could ever need uh, in order to live and to, to have life and to do what we do. Uh, but here we live in a, a, a context and a culture where the enemy, I believe, uses comparison uh, to really keep us from, from God's best for our life and from what he really has for us. And it's the number one weapon he uses because it's re- in reality, it's what got him kicked out of heaven. That the devil was in heaven, he was the worship leader, and then here he was in a spot where he was created to be an expression and a conduit of God's glory, and then he began to compare himself to God, and within that, now it's his goal to steal, and to, steal to kill, and to destroy what God's doing in our life, and I believe one of the main things he uses to do that is comparison, because comparison will kill your joy. It will steal your peace. It will destroy God's purpose for your life because where comparison begins, what happens is contentment ends. When comparison begins to happen, contentment ends, it ceases, and contentment is the key to fulfillment. So where there's comparison, there is no contentment, and where there's no contentment, there's no fulfillment, and when there's no fulfillment, you will be longing to fill something in you that only God So the enemy can get you outside of God's plan for your life. And we struggle with contentment more than any ever time in human history because of a thing that we call social media. 
right? Like when I was growing up, and I know some of you have, were, grew up long before I did, okay? I understand that. But still, within my context, right, I graduated high school in 1999. I'll be 39 this summer. And when I was growing up, we didn't have cell phones, right? I, I got my first cell phone when I graduated high school, and it was the Nokia, like, block phone, like this big, right? But it had the snake game on it. Some of you remember the snake game, right? That was all I did with it, right? And you had to pay like $50 a month, and I had like 150 minutes. Like, that was it. So it was like emergency use only. It's the only time you used it. So you just played games on it. And so now here we, we live, and, and, and my kids are growing up in a culture where they'll n- never know anything different than FaceTime and Facebook. They'll never know anything about going live and having a video conversation. They've grown up in that. So we're in this culture now. You know, when I was in college, I didn't have Facebook. I had AOL Instant Messenger. Anybody else ever have that? Right? You could talk to people, leave them a message, right? Right? I had, I had MySpace. Anybody old enough for some MySpace? Me and Tom were good friends, right? So, so I grew up in this culture where, where we weren't compa- constantly comparing ourselves. To, like, compare yourself to someone else, you had to be with them. Now all you got to do is scroll through your social media feed, your Instagram, and you begin to see what everyone else has. And the problem with social media is, is we all post our highlight reels. We all post what's fun and what's going good about our life. We don't post our behind the scenes. And Stephen Furtick said this a long time ago. He said, what happens in our culture is we're comparing our behind the scenes with someone else's highlight reel. And so what that does is it breeds discontentment and we lack fulfillment. And, and the more aware we are, the more we compare to what others have and what's going on in the lives of other people. And awareness drives discontentment. And the more we compare, the less satisfied we are with what we have. And I don't think there's ever been a, a time in human history where people have had so much yet still wanted so much more. We have so much Yet, we're not content. Yet, we want so much more. And instead of looking to God's book, we look to Facebook. And instead of being secure in our identity and who we are, we, we, we let Instagram tell us who we really are and what we have. And in our culture, comparison, I believe, kind of shows itself in some different ways, material and financially, right? We look at other people's material possessions. We look at their financial uh, portfolio and situation, and, and they have a house, and they have this car, and they make this much money, and, and we compare our financial and, and material situation to someone else's relational. We compare relationally, right? Uh, I didn't get invited. You see on Facebook, how come I didn't get invited? They got invited and I didn't get invited. How come that didn't happen? Or how, how, how did she get engaged before me? I mean, look at her. Come on, I'm being real, right? You think this, I'm just saying it. You thought it, I'm saying it, right? How did he get that promotion? How did he get that wife? How did they get that, right? We, we compare relationally. And how did their kids get that opportunity? My kids should have made the traveling team. The only reason their kid made it is because they gave X amount of dollars to the boosters last year, and I'm not that kind of person. We compare ourselves. How did their kids get into this school? How did they get here? How come they always get to have fun? How, how come their picture has more likes than mine? How did they get more followers than me? And we compare ourselves. Circumstantial. At this point in my life, I thought I would be here. And I compare to where they are and to where I am, and I want to be where they are, and how come I'm not there? How come she was able to get pregnant, and I haven't been able to have a baby yet? And they have a baby, and I don't have a baby. And 
How come they got to go here for spring break and all I got to do was go to the zoo in Kosai? They're floating in the Caribbean right now and I'm stuck in central Ohio. How come they get to do that and I don't get to do that? How did, how did they get a, how do they become members at that place? How did they become members at the lakes or this club or that club, you know? All, the only member I am is a Costco. That's the only membership I have is the Costco. And they're raising the rates on me. What's going on, right? right? We compare, we look around and how did they get tickets to that? How did they get to go to that event? So material and financial, relational, circumstantial, and we just compare. And the problem with comparison is, is that it's a curse. The enemy uses it to get your eyes off of Christ and his plan and his purpose for your life, and it's a curse because, as Andy Stanley would say, there is no win in comparison. There's no win. You'll want more. No matter where you get, you're always going to want more. I, I tell people that, I tell church planners that all the time as our church is growing and I get the opportunity to coach other planners and they go, oh man, as soon as we get X amount of people and as soon as we hit this much in our budget, we'll be able to do this and this. And I said, listen, there's no end. As you grow, you need more. And as you grow and there's more expenses and hey, yeah, as soon as we get a building. Well, guess what? Buildings cost money. Right now you get to rent. Enjoy the rent. Enjoy that you walk away. Enjoy when something breaks, you ain't got to fix it, right? How many of you remember when you just rent and the water, hey, call the land, hey, something broke, man, I don't know, you got to come fix it. Now you got to fix it, right? So there's no end, there's no win in comparison. You always lose because you always want more. There's never enough money and you think that. The enemy tells you, hey, if you can just get here, you'll be happy. As soon as you get to this point, you'll be content. But I'm telling you, and we're going to learn from Solomon in just a second, there is no end point. There's no win in comparison. There's never enough money. There's never enough likes. There's never enough followers and popularity and success. And so Paul tells us that you have to learn to be content. You have to learn how to do it. So that's good news. How I many are thankful you can actually learn how to be content? You go, I don't know. That's even possible. Paul says you can learn how to do it. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. He says this. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned. Look at your neighbor and say learned. I've learned. I figured it out. I wasn't this way. Now I am this way. I learned something. And I've learned that it, the secret, that it's, it's kind of unknown to people. But he's about to reveal it. That of being content in every situation, of, in every season of life, I've learned whether I'm full or whether I'm hungry or whether I'm living in plenty or I'm still in one, I've learned what it means to be content. And, and the context in which Paul is writing this, this letter to the church in Philippi is that Paul wants, he had it all. He was a religious leader, one of the top ones. He was very wealthy. He had everything he could ever want. He has an encounter with Christ. He had it all. He left it all to follow Christ. And he's writing this letter from a prison sh- cell in shackles. So he's tied up locked up in jail for doing what God has called him to do. And yet he's saying, I've still learned what it means to be content. I don't know about you, when I find myself in situations where I did what God told me to do and it didn't work out the way I thought it was, I'm not usually that content. I usually, I usually grumble a little bit. I go, God, what's going on? Why is, this ha- why is this here? Right, and so here's Paul. He's writing this letter. He's in shackles. He says, I've learned. It's, it doesn't come natural. This isn't, this isn't a natural thing. But I've learned what it means to be content, to have peace internally. And I'm convinced that that's what everyone longs for in life. Fulfillment is peace. I have the peace of God. I trust God. God is with me. He says, I've learned that no matter what is happening around me, that I can be content and that I can have peace. 
in all circumstances. And if there's a way to be content in every season, in every circumstance of life, I want to know that. And so Paul goes on. Verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me his strength. I can do all things through Christ. So the context here, he's talking about I've learned how to be content even while in prison for doing what God has told me to do. I've learned that even in this moment, I can have peace, I can be content, I can trust God. And I do that, remember we talked about week one, it's impossible in my own flesh, in my own strength to have this. But with Christ, who is now with me, I can be content, not because my circumstances are good or not because I've ended up where I wanted to be, but because no matter where I end up, there he is with me. And I'm content in Christ. And so what's the secret? Paul's realized, I can't. There's certain things that I can't do, I can't overcome, I can't figure out. But God can, and he can in and through me. That's the secret. I've learned that even when I can't, God can And he can through me. So the secret of contentment is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And when you recognize that his presence is real and that no matter what's going on in your life, that he is there, you will realize he is all you need. Here's Paul in prison and he says, when you have Christ, even when you're bound up and shackled in prison, when Christ is all you have, you will finally realize he's all you ever needed. He's all you need. So Paul says, let's, let's learn what it means to be content in Hebrews, and then we're going to look at Colossians here in just a second. He, he kind of lays out through these, these letters that he wrote in the New Testament how we can be content. And the first thing that I feel like God is really saying today to many of you, that if you want to be content, you've got to learn to stay in your lane. Your lane. Let me emphasize that word one more time. Your Lane, your lane. In Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily can trip us up. And it says this, And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. I so wish it would have just said, And let us stroll down the easy street of life that God has laid out for us to live. He said, No. Life is a race. Life is a challenge. God's purpose for you is a challenge, but that God has specifically created a race for you, for your life, for your purpose. And he says, and we run with endurance because it's hard and it's difficult. He says, and we do this, we run, and we, we do that by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion, that we know in the end we win when we're with him. That he is the champion and that he initiates and perfects our faith. That he is the one who wrote your story for you. Ephesians says that that you were created in his image. That you are a masterpiece created. And God created you with with good works, with a race, with a plan, with a purpose for your life. And so he says you got to run your race. And God has given you grace for your race. But he hasn't given you grace for someone else's race. There's grace for your race. There's strength for your race when you keep your eyes on Jesus, when you're found in Christ. But comparison causes you to waste energy and exhaust you from being able to run the race that God has for you. And some of you are running someone else's race and you're wondered why you're tired and you're worn out and you're burnt out because you're running in a lane that God never told you to run in. 
And you're running in it because you want to be them. You're competing with them. You're chasing them. You're running a race that you can't win. So Paul says you stay in your lane. And the way you do that is by fixing your eyes on Jesus. In Colossians 3, 1 through 4, he says it a little bit differently. He says it like this. So since you've been raised to new life with Christ. So now that you have Christ and Christ is in you, he is all you need. You don't need anything that this world can offer you, that this culture offers you. You have Christ, he is all you need. So set your sights. Hebrews, he says, fix your eyes. He says, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven. Things with eternal significance. Things of value, not the things of this earth, not what this culture says is success. You don't think about those things because you died to this life. Listen to me. When you accepted Christ, you died to this life, which meant you died to the American dream. Because when you're in Christ, you realize that the American dream is really just a nightmare. Because Solomon says you're chasing something you never catch. There's no end point. There's no win in comparison. And you're running someone else's race trying to pursue some certain status and level of success that you think will bring fulfillment, and the enemy has convinced you that the American dream will be, and he says, you died to that. You know that your real life, who you are and who God created you to be, is in Christ. And he says, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the world, you'll get to share in all his glory. And I'm telling you, nothing will ever compare to that moment. So he says, God's people are different. Paul says, What it means to be content is that you don't look around you for fulfillment. Paul was content because he wasn't looking around him because if he looked around him, he would have been in prison. He wouldn't have had what other people had. He wouldn't have had what the religious leaders had that he gave up. He left it all. And he says, now I'm living my life for something that's even greater, that's even bigger, and I'm focusing my life on what really matters. And you see, we live in a world where we're always looking to our left and to our right to see how we're doing, to see if we're measuring up, to see if we've made it, if we've uh, achieved what we want. We've been blessed enough, we were able to get a new-to-us minivan. Our other one was 13 years old, and uh, it, was, it was time to move on from Old Faithful. But uh, we, we, got, we got a new, new van a few weeks ago, and uh, it's, it's pretty cool. There's some newer features that the old one doesn't have, safety features. And, and one of them is this thing called LDW. There's a little button next to the steering wheel. It says LDW, and what that stands for is Lane Departure Warning. I'm so thankful that my wife has that in the car now. She, if I could tell you some other stories, she's, she's, got, she's got something on me, and I'm saying that because I can, and she doesn't have a microphone right now. All right, so, so what happens is, and, and, and so if you're on a highway, it's really nice because obviously, like, usually it's straighter, smoother roads, and so if you drift a little bit, it beep, 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 beep. Tells you to get back in place. But if you're on a back country road, which we got to drive sometimes, is anytime you barely get over the line, it, it beeps at you. So you have the temptation to just turn it off because it gets annoying after a while. But if you turn it off, then you often forget to turn it back on when you need it. So you kind of got to leave it on. And I think for some of you, and it may be a little bit annoying sometimes, but you need someone, something that tells you when you begin to drift out of your lane. That God said, here's your lane, here's your race, I've given you grace for your race. And so maybe when you're tired and you're burnt out, am I running my race? That's the lane departure warning. 
Because if you're running your race and you're focused on Christ and you're not comparing to anyone else, you're going to have the grace that you need. You're going to have the strength that you need. Paul says, I have learned to be content. Christ gives me the strength. And I believe today God is telling some of you, just stay in your lane. Set your sights on Jesus. He is at the finish line, championing you on, cheering you on, saying, I've written a plan for your life, and it's a good plan, it's a good purpose. Buy into me and the plan that I have for you. You know Christ. You've discovered that your purpose is in him. So stop living like you haven't. You're his child. So to make sure we stay in our lane, you've got to decide right now who or what is going to define your worth. Who or what determines your value? What determines whether you are successful or not? Is it culture? Is it this world or is it Christ? And you've got to decide, what am I going to live for? What race am I going to run? Is it going to be to, to pursue these things, to do these things? No. Christ has called you to run a race for you. For your life. This is what Solomon, who was the richest and wisest person ever said. So don't listen to me. Listen to him. Ecclesiastes 4.4. He said, then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. There's no wind. There's no end. You can't catch them. They're running a race that God never told you to run, and here you are running in their lane trying to catch what they have and get to where they are. And God goes, you'll never catch them. You're chasing the wind. There's no wind. Solomon says, I see people determining where they are in life and whether or not they're successful based on where everyone else is. He says, how meaningless is this? There's no finish line. There's no sense of satisfaction. There's no peace. There's no win. He goes on and he says, so who am I working for? And that's the question you have to ask yourself. Who are you working for? Who are you living your life for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. So you must determine what or who am I going to use as my reference point to tell me that I'm doing all right, that I'm okay. So where are you looking? Your parents, maybe, your bank account, your career, your physical appearance, your possessions, your kids. I mean, where, where do you look to tell you? And Paul says, listen, get your eyes off of that and set your sights on Christ, the one who created you. And to think that you are uniquely created by God, for God, to accomplish his purpose, that he doesn't compare you to anyone else. So why would you ever compare yourself to anyone else? I know of being a father for myself and I look at my kids and and time and time again, I just want to reinforce how much I love them and how valuable they are to me and how much they're worth to me. And I just tell them, last night I looked at Riley before you go to bed and I said, Riley, I'm so proud of you. And she said, for what? I said, for being a good girl. I want you to know daddy loves you and I'll always love you. I know, dad. All right, night-night, baby, night-night, right? Because here's the thing. I don't want her chasing that fulfillment in some guy when she becomes a teenager. I want her to know what it, her heavenly father loves her by the way her earthly father loves her. I speak the same truth into my son because they are uniquely created by God, for God, for a unique purpose. And so don't compare yourself to anyone else. You compare yourself to Christ. He's got a plan for you. And when our identity is found in Christ, listen, you won't need anyone else's approval. You won't even want it. 
Paul says, that's the secret. It's the secret sauce of contentment. That I am in Christ and he is in me. And when I can't, he can and he wants to do it through me. So today, stay in your lane. Don't run someone else's race. Run the one that God has for you. And secondly is this, in our culture especially, don't hate, celebrate. Yeah, I said it. We grew up saying that all the time. When someone else would do well and someone would kind of like be salty about it or like, oh yeah, well they blah, blah, blah. Well they got that, but blah, 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 right? And you'd be like, don't hate, just celebrate. Don't hate on them, celebrate them. Look at what Romans 12, 15 through 6 says. It says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in peace, live in harmony with each other. The problem with comparison is I see this all the time. Comparison always causes competition. It's a race. And if you're trying to run someone else's race, right, you're competing against them. So you can't celebrate them because you're competing against them. And when, when they win, you lose. And so you can't compete with them. You have to celebrate them. Envy is this, and it creates envy. Comparison and competition. Envy, we want what someone else has. It says envy is resenting God's goodness in someone else's life and ignoring God's goodness in your own life. And you go, well, that's not me. I can celebrate other people. Can you? Do you? Or when something good happens for someone else, you go, God, when's that going to happen for me? Is there someone in your life that you would secretly find joy in their failure? That something happened and you'd be like, hmm, right? That's comparison. That's what it leads to, right? You can't compliment someone out of fear of how it makes you look. You see, comparison always leads to competition. And some of you are competing with people that God's called you to have compassion for. And he's saying, here you are competing with someone. You have me. They don't even have me. I want to use you so that they can have me. And you're too busy competing with them so you can't even share the love of Jesus with someone. Like you compete so much and you want so much what they have that you can't even share Jesus with them. Competing. Comparison also causes complaining. My kids were on spring break this week, so we had a little extra time together. And I'm just telling you, my son's in the room, so I'll shape this a little bit differently. But, but there's nothing more annoying from your child is when they're complaining because you know how much they have, right? You're their the father. I provided all this for you. Like, and I don't know why you got 150 toys in this house, but when she has that one, you want that one. And when he has that one, you want that one. Now you could play with anything else, yet you here you are comparing, and then you come to me because you're comparing and you don't have what they have or you don't have what your friend has, and you come to me and you start complaining because you're comparing, you complain and you tell me, I want what they have. Give me what they have. And I go, you should be appreciative of what you have. Stop complaining. Like, we were doing something really fun on spring break. Again, we couldn't go to the Bahamas. It's all right. Those of you who did or those of you watching online, you missed today because you're traveling back. God bless you. I'm happy you enjoyed your trip. Uh, but we didn't go. So we went to the Air Force Museum. It was free. Come on, somebody, right? 
free trip. We stayed the night in a hotel, and the kids got to swim and do that, and then we went to this place in Dayton called Scene 75. It's like indoor entertainment heaven for children, right? Everything you could want. And here we are getting to do everything they want, but yet they still find something to complain about. And I told my children, I said, do you understand how annoying it is when you complain? And they go, I don't care, you know. I don't care if it's annoying to you, right? And I was thinking this week, and I was preparing this message, that what happens is, is they don't focus on what they do have, they focus on what they don't have. And when they don't focus on what they do have, and they're focusing on what they don't have, it causes them to complain. And their earthly father gets very annoyed. And I was just thinking, like, what do we sound like to our heavenly father? Where God has children all over the world, literally where kids have zero food. People who are living, I've walked through the slums of India. I've seen people beg for food, clothing, housing. And simply because I was dressed and had food and money in my wallet, I was rich to them. And here I am comparing myself because I don't quite have X amount in my bank account or I'm not driving this and they have that and I wanted to live in that neighborhood and we wanted this and we wanted that. And and, and what that sounds like to God maybe, that he shows no favoritism and here he goes, I have blessed you with so much. There's never been a time where my people have had so much yet they still desire so much more. That maybe sometimes that I'm just as annoying to my heavenly father. Because I'm comparing. So God's saying, why don't you just focus on what you do have? Why don't you look for the blessings that I've already given you? If you quit looking out there and you start looking here, you'll begin to see it. I think how we define success, and we talked about this a bit in our winning series, but I think it's important to mention again, is How we define success is the key to avoiding the comparison curse. The band's coming, and we're going to close out. In Matthew 25, Jesus is telling a parable. And this summer, we're going to do a series. We're going to look at Jesus' top parables and teach on them. And this is one of them, Matthew 25. It's called the parable of the talents, and where the master had given different talents, investments, gifts to different people. Some he gave five, three, one, and And what they did with them determined whether or not they were successful. Some invested, some saw returns, some used their gift, leveraged them, and did well with them, and one didn't. He didn't do anything with his gift. And Jesus said that that he was a wicked servant. And in this parable, Jesus redefined success for God's people, for his children. He says this, what you have is less important than what you do with what you have. You see, we're focused on what we have. And God is going to get focus on what you have, but, but what's most important is what you do with what you have. And just as those servants had to give an account to the master, so will you stand before God someday and give an account for what he gave you. Now, were you someone who just competed and chased the win and never got there? Were you a complainer? I don't, I don't know, but we got to get out of the comparison curse and we got to redefine success and so to break the curse you don't look around you you look to the one who created you Paul said fix your eyes set your sights put blinders on don't look keep your lane drift warning sensors on and whenever you start to drift whenever you start to compare get back get your focus back on me redefine success 
Success is what we do with what we have. It's being obedient to the will of God, running our race, staying in our lane, and then leveraging what he's given us, not just for our purposes, but for his purposes. That's success. That's the That's the cure. That's the the way to contentment. It's saying, God, I'm staying in my lane. I'm secure in who you've called me to be. I am a son and a daughter of God, uniquely created for good works, for a purpose, for a race that you have laid out. God, I will stay in my lane and I won't compare to others. I won't drift. I will stay focused on you. I will celebrate what you do in other people's life. It's not about what I have. It's what I do with what I have. And God, I realize that one day I will give an account before you. So we celebrate what God is doing in others' life, what he's given others. We celebrate that and we leverage what he's given us. There's a void in every one of us that can only be filled by Christ. And if the enemy can get you to chase anything other than Christ to fill that void in your life, he has you right where he wants you. You'll never be content. You'll never be fulfilled. You're chasing the wind. And so today, one, know who you are in Christ. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. We've talked about that already in this year. He loves you. He created you. He has a purpose for you, a unique purpose only for you, a race that he's laid out before you. Run your race. Your race, not my race, not anyone else. Run your race. Be content in who God created you to be. Redefine success. It's not about what they're doing, God. It's about what you're doing and what you're doing through me. And God, I'll celebrate what you're doing in this world, what you're doing in others. God, and I'll leverage what you've given me. Would you stand with me? Today, if there's a void in you, I want you to know that it can only be found in Christ. You were made for relationship with him. And today, we're just gonna sing this song. And for a moment, I want you just to focus on what you have today, that you are found in Christ, one. You are saved, you are secure in Jesus. Thank God for your salvation. Rejoice in that. Right? Know that you're a child of God, that he's gifted you, that he's created you, that he has a plan. Set your sights on him. And then quit comparing. Just quit comparing. Maybe some of you, you just need to unfollow some people on Facebook. All right? Look, Facebook is so good now, you don't even have to unfriend them. You can just unfollow them. So I don't want to see your stuff, man. It, it doesn't do me any good. Get off of that detox off of social media. I don't know what you need to do. Maybe some of you every day, you just need to write out, get a, get a thankfulness journey, a journal. Every day, write out every morning, here's what I'm thankful for. God, here's what, you've, here's what I have. Every night, you write it again. God, here's what you've given me. And you begin to get that in your heart and in your spirit. You'll begin to sense the peace, the fulfillment, the contentment that can only be found in Christ. You are his kid. He loves you. He laid out a plan for you. Don't take your cues from culture. Take your cues from the one who created you. Quit comparing yourself to anyone else. He doesn't compare you. So why should you compare yourself?